Welcome to Keep Them Coming with Open the Doors Coaching. I'm your host, Kristen Thomas. I'm a certified sex coach and clinical sexologist based in Kansas City. And I just love to talk to people about what goes on in their sex lives and relationships. I also enjoy good conversation about love, heartache, activism, or making change in the world. Be warned, you should probably be 18 and over and probably listening on your headphones. Thanks for tuning in. On this episode, I was joined by Dr. Chelsea Potts. Chelsea is a passionate educator, researcher, and speaker originally from Kansas City. She's currently living in Ohio, I believe it is. She was late diagnosed with ADHD, and she is an unmasking advocate. We'll get more into what that means in the episode. She's using her personal experiences to help others establish balance in their lives and achieve their goals. Dr. Potts holds a doctorate of education from the University of Kansas. Hey, no shade, no hate, even though I'm a Mizzou grad. So she has over a decade of experience in higher education at both the community college and university level. Today we talked all about ADHD, autism, which both fall under the umbrella of neurodivergency, and sex and relationships. She explained what she's uh, working on right now, which is this unmasking process. And look, I found her on TikTok, as I say in the episode, and I highly recommend that you go back and watch her content about some of this unmasking process that she has developed. In this episode, we talked about aging, shifting, and unmasking, and how sometimes when we take that mask off, we actually mourn that mask removal. Of course, we talked about dating, relationships, divorce, finding happiness, finding pleasure, learning to you know, make some different connections. Specifically with regards to folks who are neurodivergent, we talked about some of the ways that you can work around you know, figuring out body language, figuring out social cues. If those aren't your fortes, what are the ways that you can watch for red flags or build a connection with someone? If you've ever found it easy to be hot and heavy and then experienced discomfort when the connection deepens, or you have felt overwhelmed once you've had to merge the emotional and the physical realms in a relationship, this episode is for you. Of course, we talked a little bit about shame, talked a little bit about you know what sex is supposed to be and what society says. Well, that often doesn't work for neurodivergent people. You can find Dr. Potts on TikTok at Heavy on the Doctor, all spelled out. Check the show notes to find a direct link to her profile. It's almost the end of April. The digital version of my April column in the pitch is available online. Again, check the show notes. Of course, since it's April 420, I wrote about sex and cannabis. Now, Missouri has finally opened up and we have recreational weed here, but a lot of people have never ever consumed cannabis. So I try to give my best recommendations for navigating consent and cannabis. And hey, while I'm talking about the pitch, I'm curious if you have ever considered becoming a sustaining member for the pitch Kansas City. Instead of having to wait for the digital version of my column to come out each month, you will have a copy delivered directly to your house for as little as $5 a month. Check the show notes for a link to that as well. All right, I think that's it. Um... I kind of got backlogged a little bit between work and having COVID in March, and I, 
I don't know, this month just got a little bit crazy, so I got a bit behind on editing podcast episodes, but I promise you I've got some really exciting episodes coming up. I've already recorded, gosh, I think it's like six more episodes after this, and I've got to go back and edit and get them done. Um, I have Dr. Alexandra Stockwell, aka The Intimacy Doctor on. I have Mariah from Beducated.com. I have Kaya Blackstone, who created a self-pleasure product. Uh, Oh, and I also have Dr. Jolie Hamilton that's going to be on the show soon. And we talked about creative monogamy. So just to give you a little something to look forward to. But I do hope you enjoy this episode. We're wrapping up Couples Appreciation Month. So I hope that this episode serves as a bit of inspiration for any of those neurodivergent couples, even single folks who are looking for a healthy, happy, fulfilling relationship and worry, you know, will they ever find that person? Let me tell you, yeah, you might have some lessons to learn. Yes, you might have some adjustments to make, but if you're willing, if you're open to new ideas, and most importantly, you're willing to have some really tough conversations, anything is possible for you and your partner or your sex and dating life. So please enjoy this episode. As always, email me, Kristen at OpenTheDoorsCoaching.com if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions for future episodes. Enjoy. Well, I want to give a big thank you to Dr. Chelsea Potts for joining me today on Keep Them Coming. I found her on TikTok because, you know, it's a great place to find amazing content creators. And we are going to be talking about sex and neurodivergency today. So welcome to the show. All right. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate the time. And this has been a topic that has been taboo for me, um, talking about sex, talking about pleasure, um, especially when you talk about being neurodivergent and being disconnected from your body and trying to unlearn all of those things when you're unmasking. So I'm super excited to be here and learn from you and then um, just share more about what I know and figure out more from you, too. So I found you when I think the first video I saw was you talking about this unmasking process. And holy shit. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Can we first just start off with some of that stuff that you've been talking about? Like explain to the listeners a little bit about what the unmasking process is that, that you've, you've created. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Okay. So this has been one of my favorite things to talk about. Um, and it's because it really, it came to me organically. Um, how I began to just think about it was I literally saw a video. And when I saw this guy's video, he was like, I'm losing my ability to can't. Like the more that I unmask, and the more that I unmask. And he was talking about how he was, be, he was queer and he was looking at his gender identity as well. He just can't do certain things anymore. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I know what that is. He's resisting. And so in two minutes, I would say 10 to be generous, I literally wrote down something because I said, I can't explain this the way I want to. I'm going to use my bullet journal, write it down. And then it kind of blew up. And (laughs) so the creator, his name is Alex. He reached out to me and he was like, the video's blowing up. The video's blowing up. And then people were asking me questions and they were like, well, what about if you don't, what if you just say you can and you remask or what about if you rebel, then what? And so that just took me into a spin of, 
oh, this is a real thing. Because I didn't expect that so many people would resonate with that, with that process. Like that was the process and how I knew it and I experienced it. But to see so many people just say, I get it. And I went through that too. And I can see myself on this map was outstanding, was just outstanding to me. I just couldn't believe it. So um, the unmasking process is essentially, I focused it on late diagnosed neurodivergency, mm. but it can be really for anybody realizing something about themselves and then trying to figure out what to do with it. Mm. So I talk about it initially of just like the existence phase, which is essentially like our, our adolescence, right? We're learning, we're taking in things, but everything that we learn is based on external stimulus. So it could be our parents, it can be our environment, it can be our friends, right? And then how they treated us or didn't treat us that well, right? That then kind of shapes who we are as people. And then at some point, something happens, right? So for people that are late diagnosed, whether you find it on TikTok, which a lot of people did, and it was like, wait a minute, what is this, right? And then it shakes your entire your entire world. And then you're like, well, wait a minute. And then you learn and then you collect all this information and then you get to the point where it just blows up your world. So then you move from existence to this existential crisis and then people stay in that for a little while. And then sometimes people can stay in that for a lifetime, which is what I try to get people to not do. But if they yeah. don't, right, then they'll go to the remask. They'll say, okay, I need to survive, right? So yes, I'm autistic, for example. I get burnt out, I'm tired. This 40-hour work week doesn't work for me. But I need money, right? So I'm going to just do what I need to do and keep going. Or they can say, you know what? I'm going to rebel, right? I don't need this job. I'm going to be an entrepreneur. And they just leave it all behind and they keep going. I think that's a smaller amount of people. I think people aspire to be the rebels, but there's a lot of risk in being a rebel. And so, you know, for some people, they're like, I don't know, I don't know. And then there's the resistors. And this is what I was pointing to with Alex's. I was like, you're a resistor, right? You're in the space. You're, your can't is still in action, right? So you are can't, you're not doing something. So by that, you're advocating for yourself. Or you can also teach somebody else something and advocate for others. And that's where you get like your activists that are within the space, knowing it needs to change, but they're still trying to just fix that space versus the rebels who are like, I'm just going to create my own space. And then you have the people that retreat. So you got your work from home. I need to work, but I'm not going to talk to you guys. Like I'm not, I'm not messing with it. You know, I'm just going to stay over here stay out the way, get what I can and enjoy the other areas of my life. And you can do each of these four R's, as I call them, in different systems of your life, right? So you can remask in one, which I think a lot of people do in relationships. If they want to keep it, they may say, I'm just going to keep on acting like things are normal so I won't disrupt Right. Or what if you've realized that the person you're married to is not a good match? Mm -hmm. That's some like heavy shit. <laughs> you know, like, you know, like there's a part of me. Like, mm -hmm. What do you do? Like you, you can you can say I can somebody can easily say from the outside looking in. Well, you rebel, you leave and then you go start a new life. You might have kids. There's money there, You know, there's all these different things. So you can do different things in different areas of your life. But my entire purpose of making the unmasking process is for people to figure out how can you be your most authentic self in the majority of the spaces in your life. So if 
if it's your relationship and you have to mask a little bit, that's okay. But how are you trying to figure out how you can be yourself in some other areas, right? Because it's not good to live your life in a masked state for other people, because that's not, to me, what life is about. And I think sometimes as neurodivergent people, we can get so stuck in our head and what we're not doing right and never feeling like we're catching up. And I don't want people's life to go past and they never really get to fully be authentically walking in what they're supposed to be doing. So yeah, yeah, there's the unmasking process and how we got there. (laughs) You know, and all of that that you sort of tried to encapsulate in the end, talking about being authentically yourself, what Mm -hmm. resonated so much with me when I was watching your content was as you're going through this, I was like, check, 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 fuck. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. I went through this huge transformation in 2017, going from corporate America to being an entrepreneur. And I didn't realize really what I was going through at the time until I was watching some of your stuff about unmasking and realizing that, okay, my sense of justice is kicking in my, you know, want and desire for something like different, bigger, not wanting this 40 hour, sometimes 50 hour work week. Travel was great with that job, but you know, 50 hour work weeks were not what I could keep sustaining. Um, and then once I got into this coaching in 2017 Mm -hmm. and was talking to people about what I felt was my purpose and my Mm -hmm. mission was to help people live so authentically that they just couldn't Mm -hmm. live a life that wasn't meant for them. So I think there's far too many people that are living a life that they were not meant for. They stepped into a role that they were told they were supposed to. They Mm -hmm. built relationships based on what society was telling them that relationship was supposed to be like, including things such as you're supposed to give everything to this relationship and they are supposed to be everything Mm -hmm. for you. They're supposed to fulfill every want, need, and desire that you have and it's absolutely just not possible for one person to be everything, right? (laughs) And, and we can't be that everything for somebody else. Um, so yeah, everything that you had to say through that unmasking process just really hit home for me in connection to not only how I've been trying to live my life, but also in how I've been trying to help other people live their lives. And I didn't realize I was trying to help people just unmask all along. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And you know, and I I appreciate everything that you said too, because like, it's when you're going through it and you can, cause I feel like you can call a lot of different things. Right. So people have said, is this just a spiritual awakening? And I'm like, for some people, it may be, right? For some people, like it just may sure, be yeah. unmasking. For some people, it may be coming out and realizing what their true sexuality is or accepting it, right? <laughs> you know, it can, it can fall into so many different different places. But I think that's so inspiring, especially like seeing that you've turned that into your, into your business because we need people to kind of understand, I think, the bigger picture of what life really is. I mean, I think that we have been sold this idea of capitalism, which people tore me up for using capitalism. They were like, yeah, that's not what a capitalism is. I'm like, actually, yeah, a lot of, a lot of the reason why we may remask and say forget it is definitely we want to keep up the facades and we want to keep the nice things. Like I talked to a young lady and she said, what do you do if you know that you should unmask, but you like your nice stuff? <laughs> like, Huh. <laughs> you know, and it's, it's one of those where I'm like, well, it depends on where your values are. And those values may change and shift. And she was transparent. She said, my value right now is I want to look this way. I want to do these things. 
Okay, well then if you unmask right now, maybe you won't be happy, but at least keep it in mind, right? Mm -hmm. That that's what you, that's the goal, right? Like that's the goal, but it can be looked at it. It's just so many, it's so many different things. But I mean, when I called it unmasking, I was just like, let's just take the mask off, whatever the masks are, even though that's not as easy as I like to. <laughs> I scare myself because when I talk about it, I think I make it sound too easy. So I try to make sure that I highlight the fact that it is very hard um, and it is difficult and that you will be continuously taking off masks and putting on masks that you didn't even know existed and then realizing that they were on and doing it all over again. And so you have to learn to embrace it. Right. And just realize it's a part of life. And the more self-aware you are, the more realized, the more you realize when you're doing it and you won't do it as much. Right. right. Oh. I think it's also important to note that most likely the more intersecting marginalized identities you have, the more masking you have to do and the more masks you have to wear because so much of being successful in our society in the United States is based mm -hmm. on capitalistic white centric ideals. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You, know, you talked in one of your videos about professionalism and I know it's getting off topic about like sex and relationships and neurodivergency, but uh, I, I think it can bleed into that too, is that so much mm -hmm. of what our society believes about how we are supposed to behave is centered on whiteness and what that yeah. looks like in relationships, whether they're interpersonal relationships at work, their familial relationships or their love relationships. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the first parts is recognizing that <laughs> and then we yeah. can, we yeah. can do something about it. But until, until we recognize that centrism around whiteness, mm -hmm. we're just going to keep putting on masks. Yes. And I, you know, and it's to me, you know, I was, let me, let me gather my thoughts. Cause this is, this is such an important piece of it because when I was making the unmasking process and I was really, when I challenged myself to take it out of the 10 minutes that I spent to write it. And I was like, I spent like a, this was probably two weeks where I barely made videos and I just was thinking. And when I say you want to talk about some hyper focus, I was, woo, okay, exhausting myself. <laughs> I mean, just hours and notes and flipping. And one of the one of the things I realized was it's actually a privilege to unmask, right? Because everybody will not have the space and opportunity to do it mm -hmm. and do it in a safe way that will not put their security financially, emotionally at risk. And I had to chew on that for a while because there are some folks where they will never move down to the point where they can actually begin to self-actualize. And I think for me, I'm like, but they can. And I'm like, idealistically, Chelsea, yes. Um, you say this, and even though I have a ton of marginalized identities, I know that I always needed to combat those, which is why I was like, I'm going to get a doctorate because that will legitimize me in some way, right? Everybody's not just going out here getting doctorates and, you know, just doing and doing those things. But I also have to be real and recognize that that gave me a little bit more freedom to say, I want to do something different. And so when I'm talking to people that don't, and I'm saying like, yeah, pie in the sky, right? And they're like, what about real life? Like, how does that actually work? And that's where I get, you know, it's a, it, my heartstrings get pulled because I'm like, I don't, I how do I do this in a practical way that don't that doesn't just make people give up, mm -hmm. right? And that's when you go into changing the collective, right? And having conversations so that we can be more aware that a lot of this stuff is centered on whiteness and not just whiteness 
skin color because I was talking about this in the video too. It's not just about the skin color, it's about income and class and because there are a lot of white people that I know and interact with that deal with a lot of similar circumstances because of their income and their background, right? And so mm -hmm. I don't like I don't like people get lost on, on that because I think society teaches us that we're so different, but we're 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 not. Yeah. It is a specific kind of whiteness that we're supposed to emulate in the workplace, mm -hmm. right? In the way that we talk, the way yeah. that we dress, the way that we um I don't know, just operate. So oh, elitist yeah, is what I would I like to call elitist, it sometimes. Yes. It's very elitist. <laughs> so yeah, I've been trying to I'm like, how can I think about this? Which is why I have nothing to do with it. It's also I think that the men are supposed to be forceful and they're supposed to be dominant, whereas women are supposed to be genteel and and quiet and calm. And mm -hmm. even if you have a problem, the way that you mm -hmm. present it, it's gotta be in a way that doesn't offend. That doesn't work for me. That does not work for my attitude. That yep, does not yep, work yep. for my core. It might be like, mm -mm. Yeah. I don't and, bring it gently. It neglects Sorry. the fact that we all are masculine and feminine. No, you're fine. I was going to say, we're all masculine and feminine. And I think a lot of these ideals, they put us, I always put us in these damn boxes, right? Like, so it's just like, yep. I'm both masculine and I'm feminine, right? And the balance of that is where you get to see the, true beauty of a person and I think that even shows in like you know you go into work or even in like relationships it's like we're consistently always trying to fit in the boxes I need to do this because I'm a woman you need to do this because you're a man and anytime that that energy crosses in any way then someone's in the wrong lane and it's just like we have to learn we're whole beings and how all these you know these things kind of work together but I can talk about that forever so absolutely <laughs> so one of the things that I wanted to talk about today was about when we're, you know, aging and we're starting to understand more about ourselves. And as you mentioned, some of your work centers around like a late, late diagnosis around ADHD mm -hmm. and autism. So as we're aging and we're shifting, we're starting to unmask that can often mean that we've got to reset things, but that can often mean that we are already in the middle of a long-term relationship. And we built that relationship based on having those masks on. So what are some of the complications that can come up for relationships when this starts to happen? Yeah. Well, there can, there can be a lot of them. My, my mind went back to when I started to realize that, I, that something was different about me. So um, I'm divorced, actually. So I've been divorced for the last four, yeah, four and a half, five years or so. Mm -hmm. um, and during the marriage, there was just certain things I couldn't keep up with. Small things, mm -hmm. cleaning. And I'm like, why Why is my side of the bed always like this? Like, why is this always, a, you know, an issue? Mm -hmm. And it seemed, it, it never was an issue prior to having somebody being a mirror in my life. And then I started to realize how different I was and how disruptive some of my behaviors were. And when I got to that point, I realized I'm like, you know, this is a problem, but I can't be myself fully because my partner at that time was consistently judgmental and shaming me mm -hmm. for not being able to do these things, right? You're an adult. You should know how to do this, 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 and this. And so I was like, this relationship, this marriage isn't for me. But I was very tied into not only, you know, just being committed because that's what I said I was going to do, but I'm also now deep in the church, 
right? And mm -hmm. I'm going to disappoint God now. I'm going to do all these things. But I'm like, but this relationship, I, I'm not safe. And I'm never going to be safe to be myself in this space. So I made the decision to back out of that relationship and get, you know, and get divorced and go through those processes. But it can be very hard to choose you, right, with no set reason. It's like, I think it's even harder. It's easier to say, you're treating me like crap or you're doing this to me. And somebody can say, what happened? And you say, oh, this person's trash, right? Yeah, when you can Versus, see a specific act yeah. that they did or a but, thing that just broke, like, it is easier and, but when you say for other people to process, we get it. Yeah, yes. But when you say I had why we walked away. It's hard. Because like you're like, I this didn't work for me. Um this this was not working for me. And it can be seen as selfish. And in some ways I struggle with was it right? How you know, what were you supposed to just stay? Were you supposed to deny yourself? Were you supposed to, you know, do these things? How did this affect other people? How did this affect your kids? How did this affect X, Y, and Z? But it was just very, it was very necessary. Mm -hmm. So when I started to um, date again, right, and I was dating people, I would immediately listen to my gut. So that situation, because I was like, I don't want to be <laughs> going through relationships. And I mean, this was married and divorced before 30. So I'm like, all right, girl, you can't, <laughs> can't keep this, this trend up. So I'm like, how do you, you know, do this? But I started to listen to my body. Like, mm -hmm. how do I feel when mm -hmm. I'm around this person? Does my anxiety go up? Do I feel safe? Am I bored because this person is not always at an elevated level? <laughs> you know, so like, is my dopamine not being triggered by my usual, I want the exciting, fun, you know, love mm -hmm. story, which is really just me seeking dopamine, right? I'm, yeah. But looking at things a little bit differently. So I think like now I have to, one, say, hey, I can't do this because of, of this, right? Now it's to the point where my partner is like, another symptom. And I'm like, I just want you to know why this thing is not good for my nervous system. And he's like, okay, sensory overload, got it. You know? <laughs> so, but we, we talk about those those things. And so I think when you're in a space and you can't talk about it, like if you're in a relationship and you can't express how and why and what you need from your partner or what you need from the relationship in a safe way, then you may feel very stuck. That even goes into like sexually, like mm -hmm. what if I really tell you what I like or what I want to do or whatever, right? How are you going to think about that? <laughs> you know? like, like what, what does that really mean? So I think that it goes into like, to your original question, I think that this goes into this idea of like relationships and how to navigate them because you're becoming more self-aware every day. And so every day there's a new lesson. And so that can stress your relationship out. One is stressful on you. Right. Because it can be exhausting learning something about yourself every day. Like sometimes I will take TikTok breaks because I don't need another diagnosis today. <laughs> I like I watch a video and I have to like just close my throw my phone because it's like, it's like what? what is this? I don't know about that. You know, it's, it's exhausting. It's, it's literally knows it knows too much. Yeah, I'm like, what the heck? It's exhausting. And then it's just like now your partner takes on that and they feel that stress and then you feel like a burden and and then you know and you know all of those all those different things so i think it can have a, a negative impact but then on the flip side there's a positive impact if you're with somebody that 
makes you feel safe and that you can have those conversations with and that they are truly there to grow with you versus keep you in this box of sameness. I met you this way, stay this way, which really isn't helpful or sustainable anyway. That part. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 I, I'm also divorced and I, I am able to look back at my first two marriages and recognize there were things they did not understand about me and the way that I operate because mm-hmm. I am, uh, I obviously have ADHD. I, again, through, we're not supposed to self-diagnose through TikTok, but pretty sure I have autism. And yeah. I thought for a long time, my dad, I know he has ADHD. He admits he has ADHD. I, over the last few years, have seen hints of, oh, maybe he's autistic, and then also making that connection of, haha, yeah, yeah I, that probably means I have it too. I'm okay with that. Yeah. This partner that I am married to, pretty sure he is neurodivergent as well. Neither of us have official diagnoses, but when I do show him a video or I do send him something, he's like, uh huh, yeah, oh yeah, oh, me too. I'm like, oh. <laughs> I resonate with that. It is just comforting. And not to say that that means if you are neurodivergent that you need to date someone who's also neurodivergent. It can certainly be helpful, but you may have different experiences, especially if you're not in a same-sex relationship or you were raised in very different cultures or regions. It's time for a quick break. I promise it'll just be a minute, so stay tuned. I'll be right back after a few words that help me get paid. I guess something I'm curious about, you know, not all of us are bad at reading body language. Some of us are better at it than others. Um, some of us are better at picking up on social cues than others, but that is something that many of us struggle with. And I think there's been a lot of social, more socialization, I should say, for girls, women, people who were assigned female at birth to be able to, we're, we're guided, we're told how to pick up on some of these social cues a little bit better. Mm-hmm. But again, if that's not your strong suit, and that can be such an integral part of dating, what are some of the things that you think people should learn to pick up on or to use as their red flags if social cues, body language, facial expressions, Mm -hmm. and those things aren't really what they can rely upon? Mm. Oh, that's a good question. So... (laughs) I'm going to give at least two examples. If I get to talking, I may give more, but... I think the first thing that I do that I think people are uncomfortable with is asking. Um, I will just simply ask, what does that mean? Mm. What are your intentions with me? Mm-hmm. The directness, right? What, yeah, I'm like, I saw you make a face, but I don't know what that face meant. What does that mean? Mm-hmm. And... <laughs> I say for, I, I don't think everyone will do that because one of my best friends, I adore her to, to the moon and back. She hates asking questions. So she'll, she'll come back and she'll say, Chelsea, okay, this is what they said. Dissect it. What did that, what did that mean? And I'll do my best to figure out what, what that meant. And usually I can say I'm, I'm pretty right, but that's because I've trained myself to try to learn and pick up on all these things out of protection, right? So it's really a trauma response of why I can read people in two seconds, but... <laughs> Because like <laughs> I'm like, I have to figure out my, I know I need to know where I'm safe right now. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Yes. I'm like, nope, you did this, this, and this. I remember that from that person that did it. Bye. No, not doing it. But she's like, I don't know how to do that. Right. I don't know. I don't know what that meant. And I'm like, okay, 
ask the question, right? Just ask the question, find out, ask the question. If you're uncomfortable asking the question, then figure out, you're going to have to figure out how to regulate your dopamine levels to stay in the situation long enough to let them show you more clearly who they are and what they're doing. And that's where you have to really differentiate between what they're telling you versus what they're showing you. So now you're not looking for clues. You're just paying more attention to you didn't text me today or you didn't follow through on your commitment Mm -hmm. or you lied to me about this thing. And then you take that and this is where I will dramatize it. I will blow it up. If you did this, then that means that you'll probably do this. And it will be easier for me to detach from you now early before i get all infatuated with adhd it takes me about 30 days if not 14 maybe seven (laughs) depends on depends on what you got going on but i make sure that i keep it in that box so that way i can say this is not a year in and i'm in love with you and now i'm accepting that you're a liar no you were a liar at week four and it was something small that I ignored and those are usually the things that you kick yourself in the butt for when thing a big thing happens in your life crap okay I should have listened to that now the bonus one is I will tell you what my friend actually did to combat that question asking is that she bought a game um, she brought a couple's game that she would use and she would bring it on first dates and it talks about it's like conversation cards right I've seen them at five below they have them at target but they're just conversation cards And she would use those because it was a less intimidating way for her to ask the questions that she needed to ask without feeling like she was being just extremely aggressive, which is how I think she might take me in my question asking, which either way gets the job done. But if you're not the girl that's like, you know, the girl or the guy or they that's like, look, I don't want to sit there and ask you all these questions. That's badgering. I just I just want to I just want to know, you know, just maybe use a game or something like that. But if you are not comfortable doing either just pay attention, like pay attention to what they're actually doing and don't make excuses for it, right? Like sometimes it's hard for us to accept that somebody is treating us like that because we want to believe that we're that we're different or that we're special or that what they're telling us is true when their actions are telling you everything that you need that you need to know and not just the subconscious actions, like their literal actions of how they're treating you. Yeah. I think a lot of that also ties back to some of our socialization by the normies because <laughs> People who are not mm-hmm. neurodivergent lie constantly, right? The white lies, the like things that they say to save yeah. people's feelings. Um, a lot of my clients that are neurodivergent will not ghost. They hate being ghosted and it's usually non-neurodivergent people that are fine with ghosting. They, I just, I don't like that aspect of their socialization for our society. Like we yeah. should not be willing to accept that kind of behavior and I think it does tie into the things that we feel like we should overlook when we're dating you know like yeah. like you mentioned if they're, yeah, they're doing does. a little bitty lie a couple of weeks in what else are they going to lie about later like mm-hmm. they think that's acceptable mm-hmm. our strong sense of justice says that it's not yeah, exactly um, so exactly. I think that some of that can be a real hindrance to the way that we then have to move about in the dating world just because it's a mm-hmm. bullshit conditioning. Yes, yes. Or the idea, right? Like something, and I, I forgot the exact the situation that was tied to this, but I'll never forget the lesson I learned from it, which was 
no, they didn't tell you, but you should have known that that was because they did this and this and this. And it's kind of like this unspoken, you know, you should have known because of this weird thing. Like, and I'm just like, well, how would I have known that? Like, and then it's like, well, you're so naive. And I'm like, am I naive? And honestly, yeah, naivety comes with, I think sometimes like, at least in my form of neurodivergence, I can be very naive, right? Someone can say something snarky to me, right? And I will laugh along and not catch it until a week later, if I ever do, right? If someone never, someone doesn't say, that was very disrespectful, they did that. And I'm like, ah, I thought they were just asking about my, you know, blah, 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 blah. So there's some naivety there, but that's why I find it most empowering for me to just ask. Like, mm -hmm. I'm just going to ask. And if you can't handle me asking or you feel uncomfortable with your answer, then that let that should let you know that you're doing something that you probably shouldn't be doing. That's a little questionable. Um, and I think that's sometimes why I can get the reputation for calling people out when I'm not necessarily trying to. I'm just asking the question because I can't make sense of what you're doing. <laughs> one of my favorite things to see on the internet the last few years talking about calling out you know, racism classism sexism people mm -hmm. make those little jokes the microaggressions things like that to have the yeah. response of what do you mean by that what did that mm -hmm. what did that joke mean? sorry what did you say to me that's always yeah. like screamed oh that's a that's a neurodivergent behavior to like confront that thing and be like what was that and not in yeah maybe it's yeah. an aggressive thing but it's definitely excuse me that that feels yeah, like it's that like what's going on yeah what's going on i have no divergence either yeah. coming up with that but i like that approach mm -hmm. so again circling back to to another thing i was thinking about related to mm -hmm. uh, neurodivergency and sex is mm -hmm. as, as a coach i do i work with people who both have a diagnosis and then people who it's just apparent that you're you're obviously neurodivergent that's why this is playing into things mm -hmm. Um, but connecting physically with a partner can be challenging depending upon part of it's your hips, part of it's your communication style, things like that. Yeah. So, you know, can I ask what are some things that either in your, in your life or with people you've talked to, friends, people you've worked with, you know, what are some of the ways that you all have discussed how to work around these things. We're not trying to push through them. We're not trying to just ignore them, but how do we work right, around right. our neurodivergency and find ways to really connect, especially sexually with a partner? Mm -hmm. So, um, so being transparent, right? My, the majority of my um, sexual comfort and sexuality has blossomed in my current relationship. So that's where I'm pulling a lot of these experiences from. And the first was it was a conversation because prior to knowing that I had ADHD and that I was autistic, I always struggled around sex. I was always able to connect with someone sexually when there was no emotions there, right? Like if I met somebody or if it was in the hot and heavy, right? Three to up to a month period where you're like all over each it was good. Like I can, I can do, I can perform. I am everything that every, all the stuff <laughs> like I'm doing, I'm doing all the stuff and I'm enjoying all the stuff when I would get in relationships. Right. And now I have an emotional tie to you. And then now we're bringing in this physical piece. It would never connect. Even if it once did, right. Even if in the beginning we were great, it just, it wouldn't connect. 
And I've been thinking about, I thought about that a lot, like over the past, I think six months was just like, what, what was going on? What was the disconnect? And I think for me, it was combining the emotional with the physical and that being so overwhelming for me, right? So now when you touch me, it's not just the touch I'm focusing on. It's how do you see me? How do you, do you accept me? Do you love me? Do you do these things? And it would make me like shake almost like, oh, just oh, stop it. Like cringy, like don't just, uh, oh, and then it would look like rejection. Um, like, so I'm like, stop. Like, and it's just like, what is wrong with you? You, you started off and you were the sex guy. Now, like, <laughs> You, you you can't I can't touch your butt like what's going on I'm like I, I just it was, it was a struggle so what I did um in this in this relationship was I was like I want to have a fulfilling sexual life right I was like I deserve to have pleasure I believe I should have pleasure and I should be able to experience pleasure without shame and shame was attached to mostly all of my sexual experiences even the good ones even the good ones, I was just shame, right? And I just sat down with my partner and I was like, I want to be better at this. Um, now that required me to be vulnerable in a way that I had never been vulnerable before because mm -hmm. I think sex is seen as something that just should be natural and everybody just does it and it's and it's fine, but mm -hmm. it is hard. It's hard to tell somebody, look, I don't know what's wrong or why I can't connect, but when you touch me, I just feel like there's snakes all over me. <laughs> you know, like how, how do you have that that conversation? It can be embarrassing. So mm -hmm. first was that just naming the thing. Like first I had to name it with myself. Then I named it with my partner, right? Here's Here's what's happening. I want to have sex. I desire you. I just can't get over this mental, mental hump. So the first activity that we did that I actually thought went pretty well was we did body painting, right? So after we talked about it and we had that initial thing, I said, I just want to focus on touch because that's where it, that's the problem. Like the initial touches and all of that, that's where I'm getting hung up at. So I just want to practice receiving touch. So that's what we did. And then we moved from the paint because the paint was cold and we didn't like it. Um, <laughs> had a bad texture it was it was very sexy um until it wasn't <laughs> so so but but I think that if you don't have sensory issues because me and me and my partner both have sensory issues if you don't have sensory issues I think that was a great way to, to play mm -hmm. for us it was almost a nightmare so we did what worked for us which was just we're going to turn off the lights and we are just going to to touch we're going to ask, we're going to place hands, we're going to rub down here. And I can tell you, I don't like that. Oh, I like when you do this. So then he physically knows exactly what pressure he could feel in his hand, what I like, what I don't. I can do the same for him. I can even ask why, right? We made it a safe space. Like, well, why don't you like that? Well, that's too rough. Mm -hmm. hmm. Well, honestly, that's too soft. That feels like, I don't like that. I need deeper pressure. And so that's what started the conversation. And then we wrote letters to each other about what our sexual fantasies were. Like, and we did that because we were going to talk about it verbally. I couldn't do it. Because <laughs> I was like, this guy's going to leave me. Because he's going to channel. Uh, so was, yeah. Yeah, I was just, I was like, Whoa. I was like, what if he reads this and he thinks I'm naughty? I am, but I want him to like it. 
<laughs> so, yeah, so yeah, we just started having that, those conversations. Mm-hmm. Ties into that vulnerability. It's just, it works. And the shame, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like, how do we make this a safe space for us to to play, right? And make this fun because I looking back, I think I was taking sex way too seriously. Like mm-hmm. this is, and not seriously in the fact of like who I was giving my body to, but just thinking that it had to be this grandiose like thing and we have to touch and the fireworks are going to be this. And it, and it wasn't, I lost the fun, right? And this te- this taught me how to bring that same fun and playfulness that I could have with the randoms with my partner in a loving, safe way. And I will honestly say since then, our sex life has went from like, me to like like it's it's great right it's it's great but we had to really like knock down you know knock down those barriers i know that was a super long answer but that that was that's what what we did to kind of just make sure that we were just on the same page and and it's helped me so much um and even Mm self-play um good yes all of that right there what i heard you saying is that you did a very intentional touch session and it's absolutely mm-hmm. something that I recommend for people when they've gotten to a point where they're not touching much or they're not enjoying the touch so then they're yeah. being repulsed by it yeah. you do yeah. have to like <sighs> take that deep breath open mm-hmm. yourself up and have that vulnerable conversation and then try to receive but it has to be you're not just supposed to receive whatever your partner's giving you. You have to learn to guide them to touch you mm-hmm. the way that you want to be touched. They have to be able to receive that feedback and then give that as well. It's got to be a little dance that you two do together of trusting that you can say what you need to say and receive their words without judgment, without yeah. Yeah. taking that personally feel like you've done something yeah. wrong it just it just is it's yeah. just a learning session and it it needs to remain free of feeling like everything i've done up to this point has been wrong why didn't you tell me before <laughs> and some of us didn't yes. really recognize that we weren't enjoying that touch I mean, we did right. used to enjoy that kind of touch but again as we've aged our bodies change whatever it may right. be we've just realized like mm, I would like it a little different or in a slightly different place on our body. So I love that you two did that very intentional touch session. It was great. It was great. And you also said something in there that reminds me of a quote. Sex is perfectly natural, but not naturally perfect. That resonates. <laughs> I, forget, oh, I forget who says it, but it's like the opening quote in this book I have called Sizzling Sex for Life by Michael Castleman, who basically Ooh. composed um, more than 12, oh, okay, wait, he like 4,500 different studies or something like that into just a big compendium um, okay. of research and knowledge. But yeah, it's like the opening quote. It's by sex therapist uh, Thea Snyder Lowry. Mm, okay. Um, But I think what that speaks to is we have this notion that sex is supposed to be easy. We're just supposed to be able to figure it out. And that's so not true. We are all unique sexual beings as are our partners. Mm -hmm. And the things that we like now, we may not like in 10 years. And we have to allow them the same time and space for that. So... Again, kind of coming back to some of the socialization that we get, 
the vulnerability piece is so important in overcoming this shame that you've been indoctrinated with. Mm -hmm. It really is. I applaud you both for having that in you too. Be vulnerable with one another and work. Yeah, it's it's been, it's been great. And one quick thing I will add too is that, and this is, this is one of those things where I'm already thinking, I'm like, is that TMI and Chelsea? But here we are. So one thing that I've always struggled with and that my friends are taken aback by is that I really didn't engage in Mm self-play until... I don't know, the last year and I'm 33. So um, I can literally count on one hand prior to 33 how many times I attempted to to do that and explore and touch just because of the sheer shame associated with it. I was told that that was a no-no and especially growing up in the church, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that just even being able to explore that, even being able to actually let it come out of my mouth right now, right? <laughs> just And just say it help me have a better relationship with myself and my own sexuality mm-hmm. because I think I would put the onus on whatever partner I had mm-hmm. to explore my sexuality for me instead of actually taking it and saying, well, what do you like and owning that for me without the shame yeah. attached to it. And so I don't, I don't want to leave that out. Cause I think that that was probably that's what helped me, I think, mentally and long in, in the journey more than anything was realizing like my sexuality is not attached to my partner. Like we have a unique experience together, but I am my own sexual being. And as a woman, that's that's hard because I think we're at least in my experience, I feel like we were socialized as women to believe that this was for the man. And we're here to just, in, I don't know, make babies, I guess. I'm not sure. Yeah. <laughs> Not really sure what they expected us to do, but what they did not expect us to do was enjoy sex. And right, so, right. I mean, did Annie, if you even received any sex education, did any sex education that you ever have discuss pleasure? No. Right? It no. talked about reproduction, what body parts do, but it didn't talk about anything to do with pleasure. Mm-hmm. So, no. The onus of responsibility for learning about pleasure is you know, put upon us, but we're not told that that's something we're supposed to learn. Right. Like, we just kind of are left to our own devices to figure out later in life, like, oh yeah, you do deserve pleasure. It is your right. By virtue of you being a living, breathing human being, you deserve pleasure. Yes. So we shouldn't need like the UN mm-hmm. or the World Health Organization's statement on sexual health to tell us that, but here we are. Yeah, yeah but so. it's true. Um, well, that brings us to our final segment, which is ask coach Kristen anything. This is your chance to just get my opinion about something. You can ask for a friend, etc. So, uh, what have you got for me today? So, okay. So my question is, um, because sexuality is something that I'm just now getting comfortable with. And I think I would just want to know, like, what would you say would be best practices? Like, let's say you don't have a partner. Right. How can you begin to heal your relationship with your sexuality, especially if you may have a negative relationship with your body and not because of sexual trauma? Because I think that's an entirely different situation, but you just may have a negative relationship with your body for for issues related to your neurodivergency. Like, how can you cultivate a positive sexual relationship outside of a partner? That's a great question. I often talk about how if if you're feeling like you're in a space where everything feels negative, it's really hard to simply push yourself into a place where you feel positive about everything because then it sort of feels like you're faking it, right? 
same thing with if you're feeling bad about your body, you can't just suddenly get into like the body positivity movement. You feel like you're just <laughs> trying to Pollyanna that shit. So right, right. I say try to move from something that feels negative, something that simply feels neutral. So if you have negative thoughts and feelings associated with solo sex, well, where is the, the neutral spot? You know, you, if you start asking yourself questions such as, well, who, who told me that this is a no-no? And why would they tell me that this is something I shouldn't do? Because then it starts to open up your mind about the messaging that you've received and help you start to recognize well, what do what do I really believe versus what have I been told to believe? Yeah. And when you can at least get yourself to a point where you start thinking about, you know, well, that person might have given me some negative messages about it, but I, I don't really feel negative or positive about it. I just think that it just kind of is. Getting yourself to that point where you just release the judgment of it or release other people's judgment of it is that mm. beginning of releasing the shame. So getting to the point where you can only say, this is simply a body part and touching this body part isn't good or bad. It's just part of my body. And getting to a place where you feel less anxious about it is, is the first step. Um, and I think that there's a few wonderful books that are out there. It depends upon if you're... Uh, assigned female at birth or assigned male at birth, what body parts you got. Mm -hmm. um, but there are some wonderful books like Becoming Cliterate by Dr. Lori Mintz that I love, love, love that book. And it has a strong emphasis on exploring for yourself, not just about teaching your partner about your body. The self-exploration aspect for people that are neurodivergent, like when you said that you were not into solo sex, like I'm not shocked. Mm -hmm. <laughs> a vast majority of my clients that come to me, um, they fall into one of two camps. They never really participate in it. And a lot of it's because of the shame or they did it all the time and they still experience the shame. They just were willing to like swallow it, you know, and just be like, I know Got it. Like, this is shameful, but I can't help it. I do it all the time. Um, so it's not that they don't have the shame, they're still experiencing it. And I, that's often what I have to help them work through is recognizing that solo sex is fine. You can do it as much as you want. <laughs> like there's really okay. very few people that are truly addicted to solo sex um, or even to pornography. Like they just don't fall into the addictive model. Got it. Right. That makes sense. So, you know, people either ask me, is this too much or how much is enough? And I say, there's, there's not really a right answer to that. Everyone's solo sex practice is, is different. Some people only want an orgasm once or twice a week. And some of them also participate in solo sex without worrying about the outcome, without worrying about a final destination. It's just a pleasure session. I think exploring your body in just a pleasure session manner is also a great piece of advice. That's good. Yeah, that, I appreciate that. Yeah, I really resonate with, the, with the no outcome. <laughs> And, and that's also great for, for partner play too. When partners can get to the point where they are simply engaging in a pleasure session, regardless of what is going to be mm -hmm. the end result, that end result may be that you both had a really fun time exploring each other's bodies and trying these different things. But an orgasm does not have to be the only indication that you had a good time. 
you know, that was so hard for me to learn. That was one of the hardest lessons for me to learn to the point where I was literally like, because my partner said, he said, an orgasm is not the end for everything. Like we still participated in sex. And I was like, you're cheating. You're cheating. <laughs> it's like, I was like, I don't know what's going on, but that's, it's all, that's always the outcome. I, I, I really cannot fathom that not being the outcome. And so now it's really beautiful to see how far I've come. Cause now I get that. Whereas literally I was like, I will throw this entire relationship away because I don't understand this concept of not doing this without a end goal of an orgasm. <laughs> just, I just didn't understand it. And so, and I was robbing myself. Oh my gosh. <laughs> to get yourself to the point where you can recognize that pleasure is an adventure. It is a journey. It's not a destination. It can open up whole new worlds for you. Yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful. It really is. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And so I'm glad that I've released and am able to talk about that now without all the shame because I don't know. It's yeah. the beauty of our physical experiences. So thank you. Yeah. Pleasure is your birthright. You're just embracing it now. Yeah. 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 Well, um, if you would take a moment and tell the folks how they can find you. I know I mentioned you're on TikTok, but give them all your handles, all that good stuff. Oh, sure. Okay. So um, you can find me at Heavy on the Doctor, and that's on TikTok, and that is just Heavy on the and then DR. You can also find me on my website in unconventionalintellectual.com. Um, there you can send me a direct message. So if you um, have a question or you wanted to dive deeper on a topic or you want me to cover something in a video, you can contact me through the website or through the link tree link on my TikTok bio. But if not, that um, website is always there. It will always be available even if TikTok goes away, which hopefully it's not. <laughs> right. I, I'm like, oh my gosh, I hope it does not. I hope it does not. But yes, you can find me on my website. Um, and then I also started a YouTube channel that has zero videos, but it will in a couple of weeks, um, just to kind of have more long form content to talk about the unmasking process and dive deeper into some topics that people have been asking about. So you can go ahead and check me out. And that page is already there and established and hit the follow button and you'll know when the first video's up. You know, I started working on my YouTube page more now that everything's been coming up with a possible TikTok ban. I made sure to try to download every video and get it put on my external hard drive. I I hope that platform doesn't go away. I feel like it's been mm -hmm. a wonderful place for people to learn and connect. And there's power in that. And I think that's why they want to take it away. But that's another conversation for another podcast episode. Yes. <laughs> So we'll find other yes, ways yeah. to connect if TikTok goes away. It won't be the end of talking about some of the things that are discussed on there. But mm -hmm. uh, I'm so glad that that platform brought us together. And I, um, you know, I didn't realize at first when I started following you that you were uh, from the Kansas City area. But I was so glad to find you. Yeah, when you said pitch, I was like, oh, my. I, my mom, she moved up here with us and I was like, I haven't talked to my from the pitch. And she was like, in Kansas City? Because like that was anytime we left the Hen House Market, that was our grocery store on Mill Street. We had to get a pitch. It was like, Chelsea, go and grab a pitch. That was my duty as a child was to go and grab the pitch. So I'm really excited. And then also for your podcast and also hear about your coaching business too. Like that's really great because that's something that I'm planning to do and transition to by the end of the year. So hopefully we can talk about that offline. Absolutely. <laughs> yes, we can do that for sure. For sure. 
Well, thank you again so very much for being a guest on Keep Them Coming. And anyone that's listening to this episode, you can absolutely find um, some of this information and more on my uh, column that's coming out in May in the pitch. So thank you again. Enjoy the rest of your day. Okay, you too. Bye-bye.